Great, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Hammond. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. This week, have you seen the, um, I don't even know what it is, that real estate walkthrough <laughs> that's been making the rounds on Twitter? Uh, what if I told you that my pitch today is all about it? Great. Well, then <laughs> we can skip this whole intro section and get right to it if you want to. <laughs> wow. I'm... Well, I mean, we should we should talk about it for people that haven't seen it, and uh, then I guess we can. This might be our first organic uh, transition into pitch of the show. Yeah, my wife showed it to me, and at first, I was I was very much in the mental camp of I don't give a crap about this. Um, and then, sure enough, the further we got into this walkthrough, the more disturbed I became. <laughs> it's all about like. It's just like Frog Fraction. Same strategy applies is that it looks pretty mundane until you start going downwards. Right. And then things really go off the rails. But, uh, you know, at first, like I saw some people posting it around like, oh, you have to see this uh, 3D walkthrough of this house. It, it'll blow your mind. And <laughs> I, I clicked around a little bit, just kind of around the upstairs. And I was like, ah, I mean, it's not obviously well staged for any kind of real estate venture. Um, it's but kind it, of a it feels more kind of like just, I don't know, maybe just kind of people having a laugh at somebody who's in a real kind of unfortunate place in their life. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, once you, uh, once you below. kind of cross that threshold, um, it gets pretty wild. Well, I Do you was... know anything about the backstory or like, wh what is this? Yeah. Uh, Jessica just told me about the backstory today. I guess the home was at one point home to a family that was selling stolen goods. It's like a an organ a mini organized crime ring, and they were actually doing it as an Amazon reseller. Mm. Then I guess at some point they were I don't know arrested, taken away. Some something <laughs> happened, and then uh, essentially <laughs> a new new people moved in, and now are using it to sell legitimately on eBay. Uh, <laughs> so it is a that is the house of a. Maybe the most hardcore eBay setup I've ever seen. Wait, so the items in the house currently, like you can see in the photographs, are legit? I That I don't know. That, or did I don't they think... purchase the house and then everything that was in it came with it and the police didn't confiscate the stolen items? I'm going to have to send you the article that she read to me. Okay. Because I... Think I... If... If it had been used for selling stolen items before and had since been cleaned out and then reappeared like this like that's too much of a coincidence yeah i it's it's strange yeah i agree with you when the opening shot is kind of the mid-level of the house kind of the i don't know the kitcheny living room area and it, it already starts mm -hmm. out very strange but the thing that was an immediate flag for me was there are exit signs above the door yeah and I was like no house needs exit signs so, and i guess the the backstory, even before any of this happened, is I guess it used to be a church. Yeah, that makes sense because it's a big building as well. Yeah, big building, and you can see like there's kind of a kitchen downstairs, so you can imagine kind of a, a rectory or something. And there's a walk-in bath as well, so <laughs> you know, like every church would, have... <laughs> which was for baptisms. And oh, they... that may, well, I guess that <laughs> makes sense. Except there's no like audience. Right. And so they, they take uh, the word for it. They, they uh, retrofitted it with shower heads as apparently they replumbed <laughs> it to have shower heads. Wow. That's uh, 
Is it brave of uh, criminals to set up in a holy building consecrated by God? <laughs> you think there would be, uh, I don't know, some sort of a turn on the shower head and it might rain out holy water or something or. I don't know if, if holy, does holy water burn criminals or is that just uh, <laughs> vampires? I think it depends on uh, the criminal, but you know, maybe this, this house actually filling that tub up. I think I saw you tweet something about cursed liquids earlier mm, yeah. <laughs> this week. So let's get some moon water in that tub. I'm ready. It looks like it belongs yeah. there. Let's do it. All right. Well, let's, uh, I guess that takes us into our initial pitch. What are you, uh, how are you adapting this strange oddity of life? So I couldn't help but, cl- as we kind of, uh, or I, I got a tour of this place, I couldn't help but think of it as a really fun type of uh, smash up of sort of gone home and almost like hidden folks were, you know, a scavenger hunt, but in incredibly insane hoarder-esque type of places or places where just everything feels completely inappropriate. There's so many video games, right, where so many of these assets are generated and they're generated for all these different types of environments. So I think you could very easily, with maybe even pre-existing development assets, create quite upsetting environments (laughs) like uh, uh, 800 or 8800 Blue Lick Road in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ideate with you uh, this week about what would, how could we turn this into a game? Because I did find myself thrilled just uh, around every single corner of this place. All right, let's go ahead and start the clock there then. Gosh, there's, um, I don't know, there's a lot of questions here. So I think one of the things that makes this, uh, this, I don't know, this home seems so notable kind of making the rounds on the internet is obviously the just kind of sheer amount of stuff that's in there and um the fact that it is all explorable and the fact that it's so kind of non-linear in the way that you walk through it you know there's no good way to kind of progress from one end of it to the other like there's rows and rows of boxes and plenty of places to get kind of lost and turned around like I do like that sense of being lost. I like the sense of just this kind of constant collage of stuff everywhere and thinking that like I might be the first person to have noticed a particular detail about it. How do we kind of carry forward that sense of uh, of discovery and of uh, being kind of lost uh, out of our uh, entirely out of our league in um, in this type of situation? I couldn't, um, I, I think now you're starting to see, and games are getting better at this. I imagine we're going to get a lot more of this actually in the next gen, uh, with hard drive speeds increasing. But when video games play that trick of you turn around and they have, uh, they've loaded in a new environment behind you, or they've loaded in something new, uh, behind you horror games. If you're playing any horror games this month are really good at this trick. I almost wonder you know, what if there are, what if there's like kind of a, a never ending Sisyphean uh, scavenger hunt um, in, in different houses that you go into and are just become randomly generated because it feels that at times after taking enough turns that that house like does not have an end in some ways. Is there a way that we could I guess proceduralize that level of mess and disarray? It's a good question. Or do you have to do the thing where like you've pre-baked a bunch of different combos and you're serving them up randomly? I think what you'd have to have is different procedural rules of like wherever 
wherever say, a bathroom is generated, you're bound to find sort of different objects within its vicinity. So as you explore these environments uh, and you come across something of note, there's ways to understand, okay, objects that I'm looking for, or maybe objects I need to solve a puzzle, are going to kind of be around this space. Um, I mean, it's almost, uh, it's almost like a Zelda dungeon, except there's too many items. It's hard to, uh, I mean, this could, this would be like the nightmare That's a Nintendo quality pitch. (laughs) This would be like a nightmare home for a point and click adventure because there would just be too many things to use with everything else. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting that you say that because I imagine, so last night I played some Amnesia, The Dark Descent, which, uh, believe it or not, I've never played before. Okay. There's kind of a moment where you kind of knock down or through a, a piece of wall. And I wonder, like, maybe as you travel deeper and deeper into these homes, and maybe there can be many different types of homes to do it, and then you so you have different sorts of cursed layouts, but as you get deeper into these homes, maybe you do discover things, like if you can get to the garden section uh, and find yourself, you know, a good uh, chainsaw or something, something to knock down some walls, uh, if you can really start to get uh, surreal with it. There is an aspect of the, the game Home Flipper in here as well. I would love yeah. to play a game that is like one of those, uh, it's kind of like storage unit raiders, you know, those, uh, reality shows they put on like, yeah, storage wars. just kind of in charge of, yeah, of selling things that you have acquired like that. That seems kind of like a fun challenge as well. Like trying to pick through what you think might be valuable. Uh, I mean, in video games, it's so easy to sell things. There's not really any reason why you wouldn't just sell everything, but, yeah. uh, maybe if there was some sort of a some sort of a incentive disincentive to um, try to kind of make you look out for the highest quality items, then you can make some extra cash that way. Ooh. Now, okay. Now we're starting to get into some gamification here. So what if we, what if we gave you a certain time limit or something that you could spend in the house in the same way that those like storage people have to just kind of, they open up the door and you have to look inside and decide whether or not you're going to bid on it. But I, I, when you get down into the basement of this house, you see like five copies of a DVD nobody cares about, right? So I like the mm-hmm. idea of you being able to sell anything in the house, but if you can uh, collect multiple copies of it, there's like a bonus for the sales if you can sell a lot of the same thing, or if you can potentially collect sets of things. Like if you can find all five of these baseball cards, you're going to make $20,000 instead of, you know, a uh, 1000 Oh yeah, interesting. So I'd imagine that, you know, it becomes harder and harder to sell sets of things uh, the more that you sell because there are fewer and fewer people that are looking for them. Yeah. You could try to kind of set yourself up for success down the line by selling like the first book or movie in a series for cheap price. So you at least get people watching one and, and hopefully moving on to number two, which you're going to sell back for a higher price. It's also as we're like smashing games into this, there's there's almost an uh creepy element of uh moonlighter in this where can you can you put all these things on a virtual eBay and have them uh have people react to uh this price is too high or too yeah, low right. and you're finding out um exactly what the items are worth. Yeah, I'd love if uh uh, how does eBay work? If you price too high and nobody bids on your item, the auction just it ends, just ends, right? Yeah. Like there's no, it doesn't. 
automatically like deflate in price or anything like that? Well, it does cost you money to list. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, um, and I believe the cost to list is, I don't know if they do a flat fee or if it's a, like a, a small percentage of the item that you're selling. Like, I think like last time I tried to sell an iPad or something for 300 something bucks, eBay wanted, you know, 40 bucks of it or something like that, which seems quite high. Mm -hmm. I think one last thing that we could kind of make a call on is what is the, what is the end and satisfaction look like? Is it cleaning out a house? Is it making a ton of money off a house? Is it just finishing your scavenger hunt? I mean, I I do like a good scavenger hunt. Uh, Perhaps you do have to find your way out. Maybe after you find all of the items you're looking for, you unleash some sort of a ghost or something, kind of like a spelunky <laughs> situation. I love the idea. And then you idea. have to find your way back out again, uh, whether you're kind of following the same path that you took or, so it's a way to, you have to kind of keep your uh, your wits about you. That's smart. And I think you, the only way to track uh, your path is to grab in-world objects and either place them in unusual places where you'll get visual markers or if you can get like a, you know, you find a coin collection at the beginning and that, that allows you to, to make a breadcrumb trail back to the start. Uh, I always like, you know, whatever, whatever system you work out for yourself, you know, there's, um, I think about like certain games where you light torches behind you as you go and you can always tell when there's a lit torch, you've already been that way. Or, I mean, more often than that, it's like if there's enemies in a certain direction, that means you hadn't been there before. Otherwise you would have (laughs) bopped them all. God, that's so funny. The way that we all share this language, uh, thanks to game designers of like, we know where we haven't been because there are bad guys. All right. So we can, we can go in, we can collect items, we can get out, uh, in a certain kind of time limit. And as long as we can get out, then we can sell those items. I think this is a nice, it's kind of like an Indiana Jones type of uh, situation here. Oh you're yeah. Kind of raiding the temple, you're setting off traps, you're getting out alive and then you can um, you can sell what you find. Uh, that's, that's, it's a more literal Tomb Raider than the actual <laughs> Tomb Raider. Yeah. Assuming, assuming you don't, uh, get into a hoarder's house and find out an old lady has died and, and, you know, she's just under a pile of books or something. I do like the idea though of, I think because this house is so disorienting and per- potentially these spaces can be very disorienting, even if they're static, they don't even have to be procedural. If they're just large and winding and static and unusual, you can do something that I think horror games struggle to do, which is create fear without like darkness necessarily or without ghosts necessarily, like mm-hmm. even gone home, like you arrive at night in a house. And I know the new Amnesia game is supposed to be playing with the idea of like, hey, you're in sunlight, but I do like quiet house where everything's muffled because it's so full and you just got nasty white neon lights everywhere. Ooh, it is, uh, that could be a scary place. Let's, uh, let's stop the clock there and, um, let's give it a name. I feel like Room Raider gets pretty close to where we need to be, right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty perfect. <laughs> Alrighty then. Um, onto my pitch for the day. Uh, this is a game about setting goals. You play through a Mario level with a kind of randomly generated set of enemies and power-ups. I'm thinking somewhat like, uh, Super Mario 35, which just came out, um, where people are kind of sending enemies into your Mario levels, and so you, you don't know how much you're going to be facing um, opposition-wise throughout the course. Um, but you have to essentially place a bet at the beginning of each stage 
on how uh, how many enemies you're gonna kill, what um, what state you exit the course, whether you're big Mario, small Mario, fire flower Mario, uh, how fast you complete it, etc. Mm. Um, all of these goals need to be accomplished for you to gain points, and um, I guess you can choose how many or how few of them you wish to uh, kind of raise the stakes on, uh, but it would be kind of a competitive game you play against other people, almost like a game of Mario horse in a way. So, starting the clock. This is cool. So, is there like... Uh, Mario 64 does this. I don't know if there are other Marios that do this, but you kind of get... I guess maybe Mario Odyssey does this a little bit, but it would be great if in the initial loading up of a level you get the camera one pan through just so you and the group can all get a quick lay of the land before you place your bets yeah i, I kind of went there to be like a uh like the number of enemies would be a surprise so and i was i was thinking of this being kind of a 2d thing as well where uh you know you are you know i think it's pretty easy to avoid enemies in 3d it takes a little bit more skill to kind of weave between them in 2d um, if you've realized that you've gotten close to your par already, uh, then uh, you might have to start kind of stepping pretty carefully with uh, with each of your jumps. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the density is not necessarily there in the 3D spaces, although maybe it could be. Maybe that would be in and of itself an interesting new thing of the enemies just suddenly start spawning in very close to you or unco- uncomfortably close to you. Be like a crowd surfing type of situation. Mario crowd surfing would be a disaster. <laughs> I, oh, wow. Is Does Mario have... He does... I thought he does have some kind of... In the 3D world, anyway, like a mechanic where he can kind of kick Goombas away from him. Is that a thing? Instead of like killing them? He can kick them, but that'll... In uh, Mario Galaxy, if you, like, spin into enemies, it'll knock them on their heads, and then they'll be kind of stunned for a little bit. If you follow that up with a kick, then uh, then they'll die. But if you don't, then they'll remain alive. Gosh, Mario, you're so cruel. Okay. Well, let's set it back in 2D. We just had Mario 35. Maybe we we move uh, up a generation or something and do this. Well, how do you feel about the Super Mario motif in this thing? About the Super Mario motif? Just like using the Super Mario potentially as our 2D palette to paint with because I'm, I'm thinking about... That's what we're talking about, right? Oh, okay. I thought, I thought you were pitching... I'm, I specifically mean like Super Mario World. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> the whole series of Super Mario. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know about Super Mario, Ryan. You know I know about Super Mario. <laughs> No, so I'm I'm thinking about like in Super Mario World, some of the mechanics of, you know, sliding down on your butt and knocking out multiple uh, Koopas along the way. But there's a moment in Super Mario World where don't know if it's random or not, because I, I don't I think maybe I could crack it reliably as a kid. But going back and playing it, I've, I feel like I've lost my magic touch. When you go into those tunnel rooms and there's multiple rows of the three question mark blocks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, it's I guess bit, like... It's a very specific thing here. Blocks uh, blocks where you can kind of choose to go on the bottom row or kind of walk on top of those and hit more blocks on top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So th- there's like four or... Yeah, four kind of rows. And in each row, there are three question mark blocks and you have to hit them... Uh, in the right order, and they oh, will yeah, give yeah. you an kind of bonus life. after the level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the I love the idea of having um, you know levels interspliced with that sort of thing to 
to create power-ups and stuff that are bouncing all around and potentially you only want one of them. Like imagine placing a bet that you were going to end the level with firepower or something like that mm. and having to dodge every mushroom in sight. Yeah, I think that could be fun. And for each uh, uh, for each kind of question block you hit, like three power-ups of different types come kind of shooting out the top and you have to be kind of real careful about which ones you touch and which ones you avoid. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. I do. Uh, I think what's great about some of the, I guess maybe Mar- the the original Mario had this as well, right? But uh, Lakitu, Lakitu, whatever his name is in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in Super Mario World, he would throw out enemies. If you hit a certain block, he might throw out coins or power-ups and that sort of thing. So I do love the idea of him showing up just like the angry sun to kind of thwart you. Uh, through a level like oh you thought you were only gonna get 10 coins well uh, i'm gonna be throwing out red coins at you and (laughs) these are all gonna be worth two each this uh reminds me of there's a youtube channel that i'm sure people know of uh called sieve gaming uh, where he performs several kind of feats of determination within mario games he um will kind of post each video as like a challenge to himself like is it possible to beat new super mario bros you without ever touching a coin without oh. ever letting go of the duck button, that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's impressive. It's, um, yeah. it's taking those old games um, and playing them in a way that obviously it wasn't ever intended, but it still makes for like a very compelling challenge, like trying to avoid all of the coins like they were enemies. Like that's a, that's a, a, a neat, um, it's kind of a way to get double duty out of uh, some of the assets in the game. Yeah, and it, and it also, I feel like when people are able to accomplish things like that, you see people do sort of insane stuff like beating, you know, a Dark Souls game with a DDR pad and that that, that kind of stuff. It, it almost goes to show or highlight how almost perfect some games feel like they're, they're designed in some ways. You're like, wow, I mean, the, the fact that you're able to contort it and, it and for the thing to still end up working the mario thing's even more impressive right because they they probably didn't design it for you to never collect a coin or for you to never uh not or never not be ducking you can do it as a kind of a multiplayer challenge thing as well it's like uh if you know you could set a score on a level the number of coins that you collect and then the next person would have to collect the exact same number of coins uh without going over and maybe there's even bonus points for how quickly that total is reached because if they reach the total early, then they have to try extra hard. They have to go the rest of the course without ever collecting anything. Like if you have, if the previous player had collected two coins in the course and you, you know, kind of waited until the final screen to collect those two, then you were pretty safe at that point. You're not taking as much of a risk as if you step straight out the gate, collect the first two coins you saw, and then essentially did a no coin run for the rest of the map. That's interesting. It, that almost makes me too think about the way that Mario Maker kind of embraced a little bit of the the multiplayer vibe. And like it, in the case of the Dark Souls, the person playing with a DDR pad or the guy never, uh, never collecting a single coin or never defeating a single enemy to beat a Mario, though that, that might be other, other than a Bowser uh, to beat a Mario. I wonder if, you know, adding in the the way that the modern Mario, like New Super Mario Brothers U, Switch Plus, whatever, <laughs> however many words get on that, the way that 
having two people create this, this almost this chaos, right. Of bumping and moving all around. I wonder if you having this be a multiplayer thing is, is potentially interesting or if it's infuriating. This could just be kind of like a sub mode in super Mario maker as well. Like I feel like there's a, I'm still a little bit disappointed by that sequel. Like yeah. Super Mario Maker 2, like really so many more kind of interesting ways it could have taken the series and it really, really didn't. That should have been the last 2D Mario that I ever really needed to engage with in many ways. And it's, and it's not, but we talked about placing bets. So I wonder if, uh, <laughs> I wonder if you do something a little bit more like a craps table. H and you you mm-hmm. actually can wager coins an amount of coins on different th- outcomes right of I'm going to do this with enemies I'm going to get this many coins I'm going to do this this and this and you put different coin amounts on there you maybe start with 100 coins at the end so this is complicated but try and follow me through it when you beat the level you can kind of go bust and going bust is actually the game over state. That's true. If you're kind of, you could be wagering lives almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I was thinking more, it's going to be uh, wagering coins. And then when you run out of coins, you're done. But I do like the idea of wagering your lives. It kind of feels like uh, it's stepping it up a notch. Although with Mario's, it could be suns or moons or stars or something like that as well. Let's, uh, Let's move on from that and let's give it a name. Has Mario, has any of the Mario spin-ups ever been like casino based or gambling based? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I wonder if Nintendo Land even has any kind of Mario Party might have some kind of, uh, yeah, I think there are slot machine games in Mario Party at some point. I like the idea of this whole thing being casino themed and Mario in a tuxedo and going around to all the tables and all the tables are just like different worlds and levels. But the, the, the map navigation is, you know, Mario in a casino with a bunch of people smoking. <laughs> this could be Italian roulette as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mario Royale is not quite there. Does that mean something different? Yeah. And gaming anyway, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Super Mario brothers. It's all cl- it, it, Casinos refer to themselves as gaming, too. I wonder if there's something there. I also feel like there's something with put it all on red. Uh, <laughs> for part. Red on red. <laughs> red on red. In the red, is that, a, is that a thing? Do you want to be or do you want to be in the black? I think you want to be in the black. You want to be in the black, but I do like, uh, <laughs> like Mario in the red, which could be his uh or or you could say mario in the black and he's in a tuxedo on the cover mario in the black <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny and then the sequel would be mario back in black <laughs> that's right that's fun i i like that i think it's a it's a fun enough image um that we can kind of roll with there uh let's head over to the community get a a pitch from outside of the team we have a pitch from Matt Parker today who says, I've got the name first and the idea. <laughs> name, you versus I. Idea, I don't know, maybe an RPG where the menus randomize or move around whilst you are trying to play. And having an antagonistic UI, there could be a command like hit self right next to hit enemy. I'll leave it to you guys. You're the pros. I'll have to have another drink. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so this is uh, spelled out, you've like the letter U versus I. So an antagonistic 
UI. Uh, that's, a, that's a good idea. Let's see what we can do with it. And for people who are not in the know, UI, user interface, which is kind of what Matt, Matt's talking about Or urethral about infection. <laughs> sure. There's lots of ways that we can... <laughs> You know, this makes me think of uh, some of the mini games in the Yakuza series, mm. uh, especially when you are at the telephone clubs and you're trying to, uh, I guess, seduce women over the phone. And there's like conversation prompts, like they'll say something in a conversation and then there will be four responses that you could give. And they all kind of bounce around the screen and you have to like zap the one that you want. But the one that is kind of like the proper conversation prompt is going to be smaller and kind of ducking behind the other uh the other responses um harder to hit without accidentally triggering one that makes you look like a giant jerk oh that's interesting i do like the idea of uh (laughs) of mechanics where the ui somehow becomes a part of the world or the challenge that you're facing Mm -hmm. like the idea of selecting a command and then suddenly you're faced with almost a a typing of the dead sort of scenario of having to uh, you can only attack if you can very quickly boggle like uh you know locate the word attack in this uh word puzzle or something like that we had spoken pretty early on about a about a game in which the ui would be kind of integral to the to the, like the mechanics of the game like i was thinking about a a game where like a main character gets shot and you could save the character by turning blood off in the options menu oh um, yeah that kind of thing now, that, that ends up helping out but like what are ways that we could hide i guess this also makes me think of um of uh doki doki literature club like there's a lot of stuff in options menus and even in the kind of game files uh, within the the game's folder that um, that can have kind of tangible effects in the game world that the game can recognize. That's interesting. I'm trying to I'm trying to think about like you know Matt Matt talks about in this email here. He says, uh, "What if uh, <laughs> hit yourself becomes right next to hit the enemy?" I do like the idea of. I think we've maybe all had a moment with a virtual assistant or a. Uh, Maybe even just a user interface that is heavily suggesting that you do something. Maybe it's uh, one of those tutorial screens when you first uh, log into a piece of software and they're like, hey, let me give you a tour. And you're like, I don't need you, you stupid thing. That That is technically you being in conversation with the interface, right? And so mm-hmm. I do like the idea of playing with the idea of an interface that really suggests that you do something and the more you don't take its suggestions, the less it sort of likes you and participates with what you want. <laughs> um, yeah, so it could be, let's see, I was thinking, because interface is obviously, it's something that, um, something that kind of exists on top of some other type of program, you know, if you're, it itself, like you would need to have some sort of game underneath it for, um for this to work, but I'm just trying to think of like, it'd be fun to have like a, uh, like a clippy office assistant type of character, but I, I don't know what type of um, framing device to use to contextualize what, what him or what any kind of, you know, what this UI puzzle would, um, would overlay on top of. <laughs> what if, uh, what if your UI was a little bit like a Tamagotchi pet? Um, and, uh, every time you go into the menus, you know, it, it's, it's the equivalent of in the way, uh, monster hunter wants you to sharpen your sword, 
right? Like your imagine your interface, your menu system is a tool and it can get dull over time and you need to actually go in and care for this. <laughs> I'm recognizing how unfun this sounds as it comes out of my mouth. But anyway, I'm going to keep pushing on and see if it, it becomes something. But you have to care for this interface and maybe you have to go in and every once in a while, like it wants you to give it a fresh coat of paint. Like I loved, I honestly, it's so small and stupid, but I probably spent a ton of time throughout the campaign of something like Final Fantasy VII going in and saying, you know, now that I'm out of mid-jar, I think I really want to change the background gradient here. I'm kind of in this open world. There's a different vibe happening. And so I would engage with all of that stuff so much. It would be kind of fun if every time you click something in the UI, it ends up kind of, you know, kind of chipping away at the the paint or kind of dislodging the buttons uh, so if there are kind of commands that you use more often than others, then those buttons are going to fall off and you're going to have to perhaps kind of exist without those commands for a little while until you can get to a, I don't know, some sort of a garage to fix it. Yeah. Imagine um, being beaten so bad in battle that when you go back into your menu system after you, you're defeated or, or if you win by the skin of your teeth, that your UI is just knocked around all over the place. You're like, oh my gosh, I gotta, what order was this menu in again? (laughs) I don't even remember. Yeah. Or the next time, like (laughs) you're going to have your potions right next to your attack button or something. That's funny. And everything would have to be kind of time-based attacks as well. And so you would be uh, uh, incentivized to move quickly and and to not kind of check your work every single time. So um, having to remember what goes where, it's almost kind of like I've been playing a lot of uh, uh, mini Metro over the past few days. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's some, uh, there's a bit of that trying to remember where all the different stations are without having to constantly kind of check. So you can make sure to hook up everything that needs to be hooked up. I, I do like those types of memorization games where, you know, you do have to uh, have to remember a fair amount. Yeah. And there's something to like, inviting someone to become flexible like if you don't go in and clean up the ui or or take your little repair tool and like fix your fonts or something like (laughs) slowly uh that command is just you know it's it becomes broken in battle right where you know different rpgs have done this right where maybe a, a spell is cast on you and it simply disables an ability and then therefore the menu command is disabled and that's because of something the enemy did but maybe there's also atrophy in skills or like what if imagine how much it would change pokemon to have all of your skills have a certain pp number and the second that the pp's gone like you're you're uh, you're done like that 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 move's gone. Sorry, no more thundershock for Pikachu. You're gonna have to find something else. It becomes almost like a like a Nuzlocke run of UI options. Uh, gosh, I mean, ultimately, like it would be kind of the best joke to make the quit function also uh, limited use, but um, that's <laughs> very unfriendly towards users. I thought you were gonna uh, suggest something else that would actually be. I think pretty funny to me, which is if you don't take care of that UI, quit will just be inside of your battle commands. Like (laughs) you'd be like, oh, wait a minute. Did I pick quit or uh, quick? Oh my God. And it just goes back to the start screen. That's pretty good too. It reminds me of um, 
in uh, Smash Bros. when you're playing as Hero. Uh, you know, you have uh, you're obviously in the heat of a kind of tense, quick one-on-one battle, uh, but um, uh, but you have that uh, attack that brings up the menu that you can select one of four choices from, and it's always random, like which attacks are a part of that lineup, and you have to just kind of know the shape of the word you're looking for because there's not enough time to read everything and to really process and understand. Yeah, that's I like that. And if you had some mechanic that was almost hearkening to some of what they did with, um, uh, gosh, what's the game that I'm thinking of? Rogue Legacy, where you have different characters that maybe one character doesn't quite know how to read. And so all the words kind of look like nonsense. Mm-hmm. And um, That's a good idea as well. So let's, uh, I guess, let's wrap this up in the final few seconds and um, see if we can uh, kind of come up with a uh, something that can tie this all together. So we have a, uh, I think we're kind of liking a turn-based uh, RPG type of game with a timer component on, uh, so kind of like an active, active time turn-based uh, system mm-hmm. and the potentially something that has kind of roguelite elements as well so you could get that randomization of character and and uh, disabilities as well. Ooh, uh, and I've got one last flourish for you. Mm-hmm. Your characters can steal like in some turn-based RPGs but the thing that they steal are like nouns and verbs from other other characters. Wow, that becomes complicated. There's a game <laughs> called Counterfeit Monkey which is a really fascinating uh, title. It's um, it's a text-based uh, adventure game, um, but you have a device that can add or remove letters. Maybe it just removes. Uh, it has some sort of a transformation to the letters of basically the names of everything around you. And so if you... Gosh, it's going to be hard to come up with, a, with an example. If you... So you could, you know, you could translate, uh, to take from the title, you can translate uh, money into a monkey or something like that. And um, and then you have to solve, you know, the game's puzzles using a, a pretty robust kind of multiple solution, well-written and well-accounted for uh, system of rather kind of open-ended uh, discovery in that way. Huh. Um, but anyways, that's some further reading for people who are interested in that. Um, for now, let's uh, let's. I guess we already have a name for this one. This is you versus I. You versus uh, I. Thank you very much, Matt Parker, for sending that one in. Um, if you would like to submit a video game pitch of your own, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com/pitch. You can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And while you're listening to things, you should go check out the great shows on the Kane and Rinse network like Kane and Rinse, like The Sausage Factory, like Sound of Play. You know what I'm actually doing, H? I'm, I'm making a playlist on Apple Music that's on my public little profile there of all the tracks I've ever brought to the show and... And I got to get back on that show sometime soon. Uh, we can make that happen. <laughs> yeah. No I, do you know anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in a good word. Awesome. Um, anyways, let's, uh, let's close out with a redacted game. I think you are the one presenting today. I am. Okay. <clears throat> Today's redacted game. An open world with no rules, only redacted. Redacted is an ever-changing redacted game set in the redacted catastrophic redacted has left your redacted overrun by redacted (laughs) 
While the majority perish or redacted, you have learned to flourish. It turns out that your calling isn't picking up redacted or serving redacted. It is redacted. This is a long description. With an arsenal of redacted, redacted weapons and a knack for redacted, the city with redacted, it's not redacted for you. Your story has only begun. There's a lot of redaction in there. <sighs> okay. Um, okay. So it sounds like some sort of a some sort of a storm is blown through, or something like that, that kind of disrupts the natural order, and perhaps rises someone to power that wouldn't have had it otherwise. I would say that is a that is a mostly true statement. Okay. I guess when I'm thinking about open worlds and I'm thinking about storms blown through, is this just cause four? This is not a just cause game. Okay. Would you like some awards or do you want to take another sure. stand? Uh, it is the number 21 best game of its platform of 2014. Okay. But it is the number four most discussed game of its platform of 2014 and the number one mm. most shared game of its platform of 2014. It's interesting. 14. I I have a game in mind. It might be 2014 might be too early for it though. Could you read maybe uh, the description's really long. Could you read yeah, portions of it. of it that might be <laughs> you can skip bits that are just obviously set dressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh redacted is an ever-changing redacted game set in the redacted <laughs> i know that's not helpful but maybe this one is a catastrophic event has left your redacted overrun by redacted while the majority perish or redacted you've learned to flourish it turns out that your calling isn't picking up redacted or serving redacted it's redacted See, that's the most interesting part to me is like your calling is not picking up blank or serving blank. So it makes it sound like I was a kind of a lowly member of society before. Like these, you're no longer picking up trash or serving food, you know? (laughs) That was so good. I'm going to let you know that that's exactly those two redacted words. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, gosh. I wish that helped a little bit more. Um, <laughs> I was I was debating whether or not to redact those, but I think in your, uh, with your timely chant that you deserve those words. Turns out your calling isn't picking up trash or serving food. It is redacted. Okay. Let's see who, what, what game... Okay, I'm going to guess again. This isn't it doesn't really fit the ever-changing aspect of it, but how about Sunset Overdrive? Ding 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 ding. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh I thought there was some transformation in that city at some point. There I think you could do like kind of like in Tony Hawk levels where you can do something that changes it like once. But oh, I wouldn't yeah, really that's like call a that necessarily change. ever changing. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess there's, but there's also like bases that you build up with like you spend some money on or whatever. The full description, in an open world with no rules, only riots. Don't ask me why (laughs) I redacted that. Sunset Overdrive is an ever-changing open world game set in the not-so-distant future. A catastrophic event has left your city overrun by mutants, 
while the majority perish or transform, is one of those redacted words, you have learned to flourish. Uh, you're not going to pick up trash or serve food. <laughs> your, your calling is mutant destruction with an arsenal of, and I felt like I redacted these next two words because I felt like it was too descriptive, with an arsenal of kick-ass overpowered weapons and a knack for traversing the city with hyper agility. It's not the end of days for you. Your story has only begun. Nice. I was I was thinking Mad Max as well, but that doesn't quite fit in with the whole serving food. <laughs> yeah. Although Max certainly doesn't. Um, I, I thought the awards were actually really interesting on this, right? Because it's, yeah. it's kind of 21 best Xbox game of the year. Okay, sure, I could see that. But I think Sunset Overdrive is just, I mean, gosh, it's insomniac, right? It, it holds a special place in my heart for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool game. It's one that I enjoyed my time with, but not enough to finish it. Um, yeah, that makes any sense. I think I kind of got probably two thirds of the way through and then I just kind of had enough. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it, it, and it's one of those, that was kind of 2014 was sort of an era where it was becoming very, very common for most of these single player games to tack on stuff afterwards with the DLC and all these things. And I've never developed the habit of going back to a game to play DLC unless I really like Mortal Kombat. I did because I was like, I know two hours and I'll be out or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it makes me wish I, I was more into revisiting games for the, the expansion content that they made. Very cool. Well, that will do it for us this week. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you again next time. Bye.